Making a recipe that calls for butter? Make it better with European butter from France. With a minimum of 82% butter fat, it's no wonder French butter is the number one choice for chefs the world over. Whether you're whipping up an omelet, sauteing vegetables, or spreading it on toast, the rich, cultured flavor of butter from France always elevates. Be sure to look for Made in France on the label, and for recipes, tips, and tricks, go to tasteeurope.com. And so I spent a really long time trying to figure out, like, can I put Chili Crisp in a squeezable bottle? But ultimately, I decided to, to put it in a jar, require a spoon, because, like I said, the magic of Chili Crisp is in its texture. Billions of Chinese people can, can do this, yeah. and Americans can as well. This is Taste. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. Flyby Jing is one of the most exciting brands in food, and we were lucky enough to have the company's founder, Jing Gao, live in conversation at Rizzoli Bookstore in New York City. This conversation was part of our Taste Live at Rizzoli author series and had Jing speaking about her amazing new cookbook, The Book of Sichuan Chili Crisp. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Okay, hello, everyone. Welcome to Rizzoli Bookstore. Uh, thank you all for joining us for another installment of Taste Live at Rizzoli, uh, our event series with the wonderful uh, podcast, This is Taste. And we're joined tonight by Jing Gal, uh, chef, founder of Fly by Jing, and author of the new cookbook, The Book of Sichuan Chili Crisp. And our host tonight is our friend, uh, Matt Radbar, um, the editor-in-chief and founder of Taste. Um, so we're very lucky to have them here. And now let's give a very warm welcome to Jing and Matt. Thank you all for coming out. Appreciate it. I want to, uh, for the recording, we're recording live for the taste for our podcast. We have uh, Ruth Royal and Nancy Silverton here on December 5th. So I want to, you know, you should come out and see those guys. Hi. Hi. Thanks for uh, for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. I love your thanks book. Thanks everyone for coming. Yeah, no, really. Thanks for everyone coming yeah. out. Now, let's talk about, before we get to the book, uh, NCPG Land, you know, you just released this new product and I was like surprised because I was like prepping for the interview and and really <sighs> tell me how do you d- develop a new skew because you've got you know a lot of these like trademark chili crisps but you just dropped one on us so how did that come about? <laughs> yes, uh, so we it's did sitting just... right there too, <laughs> tempting me because I've not tried it. <laughs> we did just launch a new product. It's called Chandu Crunch. It just launched um, earlier this week. Not last week? Last week, yeah. Last week, yeah. Um, and um, I mean, I'm really lucky because, you know, my company, Fly by Jing, we draw from the flavors of my hometown in Chengdu, which is the flavor capital of China. Um, other cities might claim that, but I have said it. So it's flavor <laughs> capital of China. And, um, you know, Chili Crisp is such a um, vast kind of diverse, you know, there's there's so many different types of chili crisps out there. Um, and this, I think, is like sort of the next evolution of that for us. Um, the the So I brought a jar. I want okay. you to taste it. Mm. When? Like now? Right now. Okay. Cool. Let's do it. <laughs> and uh, so here, grab this. And I'm going to grab you a spoon. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not well, speaking to the microphone hear, here. I want to hear from you 
okay. um, live feel, feedback. This is privilege. I feel so very privileged. Make sure you mix it up. Oh yeah, definitely. So people Get do. People always mess that up. They're like, right? They think it's chili oil, and they. I've like, seen people commit the sin of opening the jar and just pour <laughs> it, and like, and that's not how it works. You have to really dig in there with a spoon because <laughs> there's the the beauty of chili crisp is is its flavor, but it's it's texture, absolutely. And you got to make sure you get a little bit of everything, and also the flavors kind of subtle because of gravity. So, you know, mix is it up. Enough? Is this enough? This is, is a good amount. So this Try reminds that. me, so 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 off of just looking at it, it mm. has a bit of like fiddle faddle. Fiddle faddle. You know fiddle faddle? <laughs> it's like that. I like that. that um, but, but it, so it, there's clearly a lot going on. I brought a, a jar that doesn't have a label on it. So if you guys can all see it, yeah. there's a ton of texture. Um, it consists of numerous seeds beans there's um fava beans in here oh, wonderful great there's soybeans yellow split peas sunflower seeds pumpkin seeds Beautiful. sesame seeds it's not free though okay but it's got more crunch than anything i that mean you look nuts. at it, it looks like there's obvious they look look like there's nuts in here i mean just it, but I'm, i know no nuts yeah, okay. yeah try, so um watch I'm, out the oil i know <laughs> so i'm gonna this is an audio <laughs> podcast <laughs> oh can we get some asmr yeah Pat, how's that sounding? Okay. <laughs> Pat Stango, everyone, our producer, thank you for coming out. Okay. Mmm. It's hot. <laughs> oh, sorry, no. Sorry. There's some water here for you? No. Um, it's just that little bit of that rush, that initial rush that yeah. you get with it. So mm. what are you getting flavor-wise? Absolutely. I'm getting... Um, I'm getting peas. Peas. Yeah, I'm getting like yellow split peas. I'm getting the, yes. the split peas are really heavier, uh -huh. which is awesome because mm -hmm. you know with with the previous products I've tried, it it's not, it's more um, like seeds. Like yeah. it feels a little less than peas, so it uh -huh. feels. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, so this is a product that um, is sort of our interpretation of this type of chili crisp. Um, there's so many different styles in Sichuan. And growing up, um, I would, you know, try this kind of very crunchy, seeded version. Yeah. There's one that they actually call five seeds because of the five different types of seeds that they put in it. And I've always wondered, like, how do they get it so crunchy? Right. It's it's like magic, you know? And so on the most recent um, R&D trip back to Chengdu, which was actually the first trip that we were able to take since COVID. Right. So after two and a half years being away um, from Chengdu, where we source and manufacture everything, uh, which was really hard to do during the pandemic, by the way. But um, being there, again, really just like re-inspired me, reconnected me to our mission, what we're yeah. doing, what we're doing, <laughs> and um, and allowed me and my team to just, you know, work on this formulation. Think for of this, this new and, formulation, this new yeah, product. And yeah. I'm getting a, I'm getting the num numbing tingling Good. Yes. finish, which yeah. I think we all love about your product so much. It's not just on the front. There's always a back in the finish, which mm -hmm. makes it such a cool product. Yeah. So when you're walking Expo West in 2018, as you write in your book, um, you are observing that there is a lack of, of something in Expo West is a, a very prominent trade show for CPG and, 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 and baby founders and and, and bigger companies, but you're right about it. I'd like to hear, and for our audience, what was missing at that moment? Mm -hmm. So Expo West is giant trade show. It's like the biggest food trade show in America. Um, it's 
held in a giant convention center in Anaheim, California. Um, you just have, and it's held for days. So you go and typically stay there for like three or four days. Um, there's rows and rows of thousands of vendors, baby founders, as you call them. Yeah. Young founders. <laughs> Young founders and <laughs> established founders. founders, like, you know, large companies also exhibit there. Um, and everyone's just like sampling their wares and like you go around and, you know, for a novice to Expo West, which I was, um, you're at risk of getting what's called Expo Belly, which is like <laughs> tasting too many different yeah. things. Um, and I just remember <laughs> having gotten Expo Belly and also kind of after a few days, all the flavors, all the things I was tasting started blending mm-hmm. together. There was a lot of protein bars. Yeah. There was a lot of alternative meats and, you know, just different types of keto, this, that, Mm -hmm. and, but not a lot of flavor. And so (laughs) a few days in, I remember just having this insane craving for like Asian noodle soup. Wow. And I was like, why am I craving that? And I realized it was because I didn't get anything really tasty or flavorful over the last like three or four days. And that's when I, like, upon reflection, I was like, wait, like, there was only really three brands that were selling Asian food products. At Expo West 2018. Yeah, that I remember. Which is not remember. that long ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. One of them was Mother-in-Law Kimchi, which yep. is still around. Um, one of them was another, you know, Chinese kind of noodle company that's no longer around. And um, I think there was maybe, like, one more. But that's that's, in, that's, that's it. That's yeah. amazing to to think about that. But you weren't obviously you weren't working at Fly by Jing at that point. You had another career. What was what were you there well, for? Well, I I actually was doing Fly by Jing, but oh, in a were? different iteration. I see. So okay. I, I started Fly by Jing um, back in 2017 as a underground supper club that was right. inspired by Fly restaurants, which are these um, really wonderful hole in the wall restaurants in Chengdu, where I'm from, and uh, they're known for being so delicious that they attract people like flies. And they're usually hidden down alleys. Like they're not, you know, easy to find, but people will find them because of the flavor. So I have to ask then, how did you know that this product would have such a wide appeal? This this traditional food of Chengdu would become a product that you could find in Target and in Walmart and in Costco, and it would become this massively craveable product from all Americans and, and beyond. Well, chili crisp is the most popular form of hot sauce or condiment in China. And it's the most populous place on earth. So I thought if this was really (laughs) taking on in China, then I think um, Americans might like it too. Um, Also, when I, you know, I mentioned I started Fai Bai Jing as a supper club. So I was cooking and, you know, cooking for a lot of people, um, this was at the time I was based in Shanghai, but I traveled the, the world really, um, bringing my sauces, my ingredients with me in suitcases and, you know, cooking for people who had maybe never experienced Sichuan flavors and definitely never had access to these yeah. ingredients. And the feedback was unanimously ama- amazing. People's mm-hmm. eyes would light up when they would try these flavors for the first time. And so that was kind of like my market research. I knew that... There was, you know, this um, this gap basically yeah. in the market, and um, and yeah, I mean, the, my biggest worry at the time was whether Americans would be willing to use a spoon 
Interesting. For a condiment. For a hot sauce, because, you know, there's yeah. ghost chilies happening at the time. We've got Frank's Red Hot and Tabasco and all the American Everything brand. is pourable exactly. or squeezable. And so I spent a really long time trying to figure out, like, can I put Chili Crisp in a squeezable bottle? <laughs> well, you know, you're, I mean, it's just not as fun. We all know that. Exactly. There's a real fun, but, but yeah. Sriracha... Uh-huh. Back in 2018 and 17 was was massive. It was mm-hmm. huge, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's why I was like, okay, people are so used to this format. Yeah, is it too much to ask to ask them to grab a spoon? Um, but ultimately, I decided to to put it in a jar, require a spoon because. Like I said, the magic of chili crisp is in its texture. It's so true. And there's no way actually to do it in a way where, you know, it's it's uniform. So, um, and then I thought, yeah, if billions of Chinese people can can do this, yeah. then Americans can as well. Were you aware of salsa matcha from Mexico while you were developing? I, at the time was not. That's, this is great to admit that because, I mean, yeah. I, I'm, I'm pretty new to salsa matcha myself. I think I knew chili crisp before. Yeah. Well, I actually, um, at the time, I was not because I hadn't traveled to Mexico yet. Yeah. But in 2018, uh, the year I started Fly by Jing and moved to the U.S., I took a trip to Oaxaca. And I was really struck by the similarities between Sichuan and Oaxacan cuisine. Everything from China's baijiu to mezcal. Yeah. To yeah, it has that sm- baijiu has smokiness, it has smokiness, fermentation. kind of ferment, fermented in a similar mm-hmm. way. It's using grains rather yeah. than corn and yep. and um, and uh, agave. But um, it is it's so striking. And also, it's important to note that chili peppers came to China via Mexico couple hundred years ago. Right. And then the chilies were kind of adapted to Chinese tastes and, you know, they started growing their own versions of chilies that, you know, suited Chinese tastes. So like more fragrant, maybe more mild, more fruity. But um, then when I saw salsa matcha, it made a lot of sense. Let's talk about the book. When you started writing the proposal, like what were you thinking about? Were you what, what did you want the book to be and what did you book, want the book not to be? So I didn't want the book to be like a single topic novelty book right? that you just like lay on your coffee table, even though this I think would look really nice on your coffee no, table. No, it's a... But, <laughs> but um, I think, you know, the... My agent, the book publishers, everyone was like, you know, Chili Crisp, it's having a moment. Like, right. write a book about Chili Crisp. Name it the book of Chili Crisp. And the the original book I've always wanted to write was much more involved. It's like this saga of, like, yeah. my story and, like, Sichuan, fly restaurants. It would have required a lot of travel to China. But this was during COVID, so yeah. that, you know, was, wasn't possible. Um, so... Instead, I started thinking about like my journey and sort of through the lens of this condiment, this condiment that really has provided a platform for me to tell a story, to try to evolve culture, Mm -hmm. to try to change the way that, you know, America eats because of my experience in 2018 at Expo West. So, um, yeah, so, you know, this book is full of those very personal stories and you know, it gives you recipes for chili crisp and how to use chili crisp, but that's not all. There's um, a lot of recipes in here are actually inspired by my days of cooking in my supper club. So I would call it Sichuan soul food because it's very soulful, comforting. It's rooted in tradition, but also like sort of adapted for modern life. So very similar to 
the line of sauces. Flavor it's drink. it's a remarkable book, and I and I, I love it so much it, it, because you have you've thread you you've thread thread that needle. It's it's very challenging to do a book that is single topic in essence, but it has narrative and has your story, but it's also not like all of the story. What I like a lot about it is it's the the recipe writing. It simplifies things in a way that is very approachable because I think some listeners to the show may think that this is difficult cooking. And of course, there's plenty of dishes we'll get to hot pot, which I think is a difficult, it's a it's a series of steps you have to take. But I wanted to ask you about, you know, some of these dishes, like these one pan dishes, like the 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 glazed salmon um, or the sheet pan mala chicken. How do you think about these, the recipe writing? How are you like formulating the recipe writing in your head when you're going through it? Yeah. So um, a lot of the recipes you'll, if you browse through, they kind of seem very simple um, because it calls for certain condiments that then you refer to like the the back and then it tells you how to make the condiments. So if you have a lot of those condiments pre-prepared or if you buy Fly by Jing and just take the shortcut, um, it's really quick to make a lot of these recipes. The sheet pan recipes, um, it's definitely adapted to the way that I cook. Hmm. There's no – people don't cook with ovens in China that much, you oh. know. There's baked goods and stuff, yeah. but usually in, in family homes there's no ovens because I think this is like a, sort of a more traditional Chinese medicine kind of approach to food where they want to retain as much water content in food as mm-hmm. possible. So you see steaming rather than baking. Um, but here, I mean, I live in California here, everybody has ovens and people love to use their ovens because it's like a set it and forget it type Mm -hmm. thing. So that's kind of an example of like making it work for you. Yeah. Adapting it for the Western kitchen. Yeah. Back to that water. I'm, I'm keep thinking about that. Is that a textural choice to keep the the health thing? Interesting. Because I think it's, you know, if you remove all the water content by baking it, then it's not considered as as healthy for you. The, the water is part of the nutrients of yeah. the, the natural, like the vegetable or the protein. Yeah. Um, strange flavor sauce. It, it's across recipes and it's a name that is unique. Strange mm-hmm. flavor. But it works and it, mm-hmm. you see it throughout the book. What is strange flavor sauce? Yeah, so one of the condiments in here is is strange flavor. Um, Strange flavor is probably one of the lesser known, but one of my all-time favorite flavor profiles in Sichuan cuisine. Mm -hmm. So uh, Sichuan cuisine, you know, famous for mala, which is spicy and tingly, spicy and numbing. Um, But aside from that, there's like 22 other flavor profiles. Strange flavor is one of them. And it's characterized by this perfect balance of Sweet, spicy, savory, tingly, and nutty. Nuttiness from the sesame mm-hmm. paste. And um, it's really, I mean, it takes on a lot of forms, but the most common form is a type of sauce. It's like kind of a thick, you know, fragrant sesame Barbecue-ish, type. Barbecue-ish, um, It's more like like a sesame paste. Got it. You it's know? thicker. And um, it's got chili oil in it. It's got black vinegar in it, sugar, um, citron pepper and then fragrant roasted sesame paste. And I love it in like any form, but um, most commonly you might see it in like a shredded chicken salad, Mm -hmm. cold noodles, um, even just like drenched over um, some blanched vegetables. 
Is there going to be a strange sauce in the line of fly by Jing products eventually? We might be working on something. I would imagine. It sounds like it's <laughs> yeah. really adaptable. I mean, yeah. seeing it in the book repeat over and over. Mm-hmm. So when you say you're working on it, how does that, let's go back to your product. We'll, we'll, okay. we'll leave the book for a second. I do have some questions, but I'd like to get back to fly by Jing. Like sourcing these products that make your sauces and condiments fucking hard. It must be <laughs> just like thinking about bringing it to your co-packers here, your, your, your facilities here and finding them in, you know, Chung, around Chengdu or wherever. Mm-hmm. Is that challenging? Yes. It was especially challenging during COVID. We actually don't produce anything in the States. We produce everything right. in my hometown. So In your hometown. Yeah, in Chengdu. Yeah. Um, but the benefit of that is that, you know, all of our ingredients are sourced from the region uh, and that's key. That's like the number one key to what we do because yeah. our food, the flavors, taste of Chengdu and of nowhere else. And if you sub in, you can use the same exact recipe. Like I've given you the recipe for chili crisp in here. Yeah. Um, but if you go and find you know, Mexican chilies or Korean chilies, you're going to come up with a very different product. So the provenance of ingredients are key. And then also we're lucky we're able to leverage the expertise and know-how of our manufacturing partners who have been doing this for decades in mm-hmm. China. You know, it's a huge industry in China. Um, like I said, it's the number one, you know, consumed sauce. But in addition to chili crisp type sauces, they also make like hot pot base. Mm-hmm. And hot pot is a huge industry in China, right? There's like yeah. millions of Chains. Chains. And then obviously there's a home adaptation. So there's a lot of home yeah. cooking. So there's constant innovation happening. We're able to like kind of lean on that. Is there like one product that's just more difficult than others that, that you just have a, a tough time sourcing? Um, well, because it's really important for us to keep everything all natural, like no preservatives, no artificial flavors and additives. It is challenging to get the right flavor profiles without mm-hmm. having you know, shortcuts. Yeah, like a um, chemical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's sometimes challenging to kind of maintain the stability of a product. If it has too much water content, for example, yeah. then, you know, um, then it won't be as shelf stable. And we try to aim for shelf stable. So back to hot pot, I wanted to ask mm-hmm. you about that because you have a, a pretty elaborate recipe in the book detailing hot pot. And as you mentioned, it's it's so foundational in Szechuan cooking uh, and we've all enjoyed it at restaurants. But for, for you, let's make the case that you should actually make hot pot at home and, and host a hot pot, especially as it gets cooler out. It's a beautiful thing to have at home, like on a weekend night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a section in, in my book called Hot Pot is a Religion. <laughs> I love and that. It's so great. it is, you know, so not great. to be taken lightly in China, in Chinese culture. Um, it's popular everywhere in China, but I think um, the most well-known version is from Sichuan, and it's like a fiery, bubbling red cauldron of hot broth that is like teeming with Sichuan pepper, chili peppers, all kinds of herbs and spices. And then really key in Sichuan hot pot is uh, this golden beef tallow that is used instead of like uh, soybean oil or something like that. And that beef tallow, it goes in solid, but then once it starts to bubble it yeah. turns into this like beautiful it, like, shiny streaks it kind of like a, yeah. sh- a streak a shiny streak yeah and it's so flavorful yeah. and it really coats everything that you cook in it um so then you know the ingredients that you cook in hot pot is infinitely customizable which is what's great you know you can have something for everyone and um 
And then the broth is so flavorful oh that the dipping sauce for Sichuan hot pot is only meant to be sesame oil and garlic mm. and some cilantro. That's it. You know, it's not like a sauce bar that you might be used to here where you add like, you know, all no, kinds because of Because the stuff. broth you're dipping in uh, proteins, vegetables... And it's it's already just, got it all. It's got it all in yeah. that broth. Yeah, it's super intense, and you're not meant to drink it. So that's the question. You're never supposed to drink the hot pot. You're broth or, not supposed to. Yeah, unless you want the beef fat to congeal inside. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you sounds, could. could be pretty you tasty, could. pretty delicious. Um, but you're probably getting enough just by like dipping, you yeah, know, yeah. and and eating it. But um, it's it's so good, and I love hosting hot pot. I'm actually doing one this weekend with some friends because it's like the ultimate easiest like hosting yeah. you know dinner party because your guests cook their own food. Yeah, and it's like yeah, exactly. So you, the work is out of the way once yeah. they arrive. Yeah, and then you can even like shortcut even further, which is what I plan to do because <laughs> there's a. Because you, you got to like prepare all the raw ingredients. <clears throat> but um, Heidi Lau, which is a popular hot pot chain, yeah. you can order delivery from them and it comes already, so you can fake it, yeah. already prepared. <laughs> yeah. I was yeah. talking to somebody who did that with their Boombo Boy at their like family <laughs> gathering. They, they ordered it for 20 and they just like dumped it into the bowl and <laughs> served it. Hey, man, whatever works. Yeah. What other food is religion in China? I, I, I want to follow up. You say hot pot is religion. There's got to be other foods that are religion. I love that you phrase it that way because. I think some cultures have foods that are religions, some don't. Yeah. I think in Sichuan, it would be street food. Got it. Yeah. Like a whole class of street food. There's so many different dishes from dumplings to noodles to, you know, different types of, yeah. But, and then they, um, it's like a whole culture. There's restaurants that only serve street food dishes and they serve it in like little bowls so you can try a bit of everything. Mm. The term hot and sour, I think is, you know, in American Chinese restaurants, we think of like a very narrow thing, the hot and sour soup, which is like a Cantonese soup, or it's not, um, it's not as pervasive as you write about in your book, which is, it is a predominant flavor combination in Sichuan cooking. I guess my question is, is how do you think of hot and sour? Yeah. So hot and sour, um, I love hot and sour soup, like in yes. the Chinese American style. Um, but I think that the flavor kind of gets distracting or it gets distracted by all the components of the soup. In Sichuan cooking, hot and sour, I think, comes through a lot more pure. Um, so my favorite iterations of that flavor profile is in um, like a stir-fried julienne potato, like mm. sort of like a matchstick potato. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where you cut it into julienne like while it's raw and then just like stir-fry it really f high heat with chili peppers Sichuan pepper and a splash of black vinegar. So then you get the heat and the vinegar. So that's the hot and sour part. And then the other, my other favorite is hot and sour sweet potato noodle soup. And that is sweet potato starch noodles um, cooked in a really rich, like sort of bone broth with a splash of chili oil and a splash of black vinegar. And that's the These are like the japchae noodles that are dry and you, you boil yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. They're kind of different from Korean japchae. Yeah. Japchae is usually a little bit more soft. Right, but right, But right. the Sichuan version is really al dente and chewy. That sounds so good. Yeah. Oh, my God. So do you get the noodles and can you get them in like in liquid, like in those bags? Yeah, you can find it. Um, that's cool. If you can find like Sichuan style in, in uh, 99 Ranch. Yeah. But japchae mm -hmm. is a good substitute as well. A few more questions. We'll get to... Uh, audience now 
what have been some like unique ways you've seen fly budging used by your fans? I feel my mom loves putting it in cottage cheese. That's her jam and sesame seeds. People are, you know, people are like, whoa, that's weird. Or is it good? I don't know. You guys think it's good? No? Yeah, okay. That I get some thumbs, I get yeah. some thumbs up. She, she loves it. So, and I, I just think of her and she's a huge fan of yours and she's ordering it all the time. But yeah, what are some other unique ways? You should tell your mom to try Chundu Crunch on cottage cheese. It would blow her mind. Oh yeah. The yeah, new product. Yeah. yeah. She may be getting some for the holidays. Oh, okay. Very good. Uh, because I've, that's how <laughs> I encountered, I was gifted as my, yeah. by my old boss and I'm, I'm going to pay it forward and do yeah, that. Yeah. Thank you. So it makes a great gift. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, so I've seen it uh, in all forms. I mean, when we first launched it, we wanted to show people just how versatile this condiment was. So when I launched it five years ago, I partnered with ice cream shops in New York and L.A. And, um, and it, you know, I think once people saw like, oh, my God, it could work on ice cream, they kind of got permission to totally. put it on whatever they want. So we've heard, we've seen... So many things. I think the most recent one that really shocked me was um, someone told me the nine-year-old son puts it in cereal oh. with milk. <laughs> I mean, for a, for a savory breakfast, it sounds pretty great, yeah. but I mean, it's not like Cinnamon Toast Crunch, though. I have no idea what <laughs> I need to follow up with which kind of cereal it was. But yeah, I mean, wild. I mean... With crackling oat bran, it might work. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. something like this. You should try it. Right? Let me know. I'm gonna try it. <laughs> um, so I, f- you you ran you recently had a had a pop up restaurant, right? Or mm-hmm. I'm vaguely remembering it now. Um, no, are you or talking like about swap or an act- activation. Uh, this is a leading question. The leading oh, question. Um, I well, I've been on this book tour. This okay. is the last the last stop yeah. of my tour, um, and. We've done nine stops, and in each city, we've done kind of a dinner event. Yeah. yeah so yeah. here in New York, we partnered with Bonnie's in yeah, Brooklyn, yeah. and we did an amazing dinner with them. Um, in LA, with Anna Jack Tai and uh, Mr. Jews and SF. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're referring to? I guess I'm thinking of maybe I was thinking about maybe at Fancy Food Show, you were doing something. But but the question is this: Does Fly by Jean become a QSR? <laughs> Does Flybudging operate in the restaurant world? You come from that world. You're a chef. You have a lot of recipes in your head. It's obviously great for your brand to have to have restaurants. Yes. <laughs> okay, I see where you're going. <laughs> so I am opening a concept in LA. It is called Swa Superette, and it is a... Um, Modern Sichuan inspired convenient grab and go cool. restaurant. So um, imagine flybudging flavors meets the quality of like organic Californian farmers market produce meets pret a manger. Yeah. So grab and grab and go, grab and go in. Got yeah. Yes, that is my dream because I love convenience. I love to save time. I love flavor. Yeah. And I love like high quality food. So. I didn't really see anything that existed that fit that bill. Um, so we decided to create our own. So what's the menu? What are we thinking at? Like, how do you grab oh my God, and go? It's so good. It's actually opening. I think our grand opening is next week. Wow. Um, Recording this uh, November 1st. So mid-November. Yeah, so I think it's like, yeah, mid-November. It's going to be in Larchmont yeah. uh, Village in LA, which is really beautiful walking community so neighborhood. Great. Yeah. So great. Um, and... 
The menu will be things like um, a Sichuan chicken salad, a um, cold sesame noodle, mala chicken tenders. Oh my gosh! With chili crisp um, mustard, vin- chili crisp vinaigrette. M- what mustard vinaigrette and um we're also gonna have breakfast items like you know like a black sesame overnight oats situation that sounds amazing um a meiji chocolate tofu pudding that's absolutely delicious i can't believe you're going into the tenders game we're going in the tenders game we're even doing whole rotisserie chickens like with Sichuan chili crisps kind of smothered all over the chicken so that you can take it home and do meal prep with that's cool yeah so it's a concept. So it's a concept. Proof of concept. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and it's, yeah, it's really great because we get to, you know, prepare everything off-site. It comes to the store in already pre-packaged and like environmentally friendly packaging. You um, can grab, you know, and just, you know, it's literally like ready to eat or you can take it home, meal prep with it. We also have a coffee and tea bar. And then in the back, there is a retail section that um, oh. highlights, you know, products made by Asian founders, whether it's like pantry goods or home goods. So Fly by Jing will be there amongst a lot of other It sounds really brands. special. And of course, the design will be super nice. Oh, it's a beautiful you've got, store. Because you've got great style always with, with all that. Uh, I keep thinking about those tenders. I mean, <laughs> watch out, sweet green, too. Gotta have you in. Yeah. No, it sounds great. And, and I can't wait to follow that in your career. Let's uh, close by asking a little bit about the world of founder-led CPG. And I just, I had you in the studio about a year ago. I want to ask you again, who who are you really admiring right now in the world of of, of, of startup CPG? Oh, there's so many. Um, recently. Uh, I organized a founder retreat with a few other fellow founders in the API space um, who do everything from food to beauty products to home products. Um, I love the brand Blue Land. Do you you're aware of them? No, no, no. Um, they're an amazing kind of home cleaning and like uh, kind of like a toiletries. Like they do um, hand soaps and laundry soaps. Everything's plastic free. So really good. That's everything's in like tabs and yeah. zero plastic. So they're really changing the game. Um, also, uh, continue to love brands like Nguyen Coffee, yeah. Imi, um, Fishwife, which yeah. is a, a brand that I've collaborated with. We have this chili crisp smoked salmon. Oh, I've had it. It's amazing. Yeah, it's yeah, amazing. It's and Becca, the founder, is incredible. Yeah. Um, Gia is a yep. brand that I love. Melanie is a friend. And um, <clears throat> it's just really beautiful non-alcoholic um, beverages. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then within within um, kind of the Asian kind of food space, it's really just exploded in the last few years. And it's been really exciting to witness and be a part of kind of, um, you know, this rising tide. A lot of these brands I personally invested in and I'm an advisor to. Amazing. And um, yeah, we just... Paying it forward a bit. It's great to yeah help each other out because when all of us succeeds, it's when we succeed. Is New England going to be at your cat, at your restaurant? Yeah. That's the yeah, coffee? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We will. Uh, and doing Robusto? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. I love I love that company so much. And I think yeah, introducing the world to Robusto is is really important because it's delicious yeah. coffee. Yeah. Um, Jing on This Is Taste, we ask guests about their discerning taste. So to close this interview, here's a little rapid fire fast and furious taste check. Live with a studio audience. <laughs> Are you ready? I'm ready. The best dessert. 
Okay, so a Sichuan dessert called Bing Fen. It's ice jelly. Okay. Yeah. Do you want me to expand? Yeah, or? please. Okay. So <laughs> it's go. like a clear jelly made from the seed of a a plant. I forget the name. Yeah. Shoe fly plant. And it's really cooling. So you eat it when you have hot pot to cool yourself down. It's always important to have that by your side. Yeah. <laughs> um, your favorite cookbook of all time. That's too hard. I know. Um, We're in a bookstore, though. I'm going to say I love the Dishoom cookbook. Yes. And um, Ghetto Gastro's Black Power Kitchen. Yeah, that book is amazing. Yeah. But a year old, you know. Yeah. Um, favorite recent cookbook discovery? I just got my copy of the Korean cookbook. Yeah. The From JP cookbook. and Elia. Like, yeah. It's amazing have you seen it oh my god of course it's got like 500 recipes every other cookbook author to shame it has 500 recipes yeah i i like i almost died and i did 85 recipes. i know me too there's this 500 no jp was uh, like covid it was like he's just writing recipes every day yeah oh my god it's great you can definitely pick that one up here you can pick up dishoom here i bet too yeah Uh, a few more your favorite la restaurant um anna jack thai have you been justin justin Give that man a television show. I that's what I'm saying. He's so funny. Yeah. Like naturally I'm trying just, to convince him to do a podcast with me. Oh, you should do yeah. it. Yeah, you guys would be great. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell I, him. Justin, I've not been I've not been to oh, Anna Jack. You gotta come. Yeah. Uh your favorite chef in America right now. Um, I mean, I love Justin. And um I I'm just it's really hard. I'm gonna say the most recent restaurant I went to was uh is Harbor House Inn. Mm-hmm. Have you have you been mm-hmm. Matthew Kemmerer? I mean, I just it was it was divine. Everything about the meal was incredible. Two more. Your favorite vegetable? Celtus. Uh, Celtus. I say Celtus. I don't like Celtus. I say Celtus. <laughs> it's a cross between celery and lettuce, yes. and you don't say lettuce. No, you, you don't. <laughs> You've corrected so. me forever. <laughs> a distraction. Last one. Your favorite sandwich. So I just had it before I came here. In New York City. Yes. So um, today, November 1st, 2023, <laughs> Fly by Jing just launched a collab with Shake Shack. And Damn. it's only available right now in a few stores in New York. So the one that I just came from was Astor Place. Yeah. And there's also uh, at the West Village location. It is a fried chicken, chili crisp, aioli sandwich. That's amazing. Dusted with mala spice. Oh, so there's actually in the cutlet, there's some mala. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's not just the And then also get an order of the chili crisp aioli cheese fries. Dang. And uh, you'll have yourself a great meal. So let me ask you, how does that happen? Do you just like, <laughs> how do you like get this thing on the menu of Shake Shack? Um, so I, I've, you know, it's, it's a, been a dream of mine to work with Shake Shack. It's one of my favorite um, fast food restaurants. And um, yeah, I just, you know, we became friends. Actually, Mark Rosati, who you might know. Yeah. He's a culinary director of oh, Shake yeah, Shack. Oh, yeah. He's the guy. He's a genius. He is. Flavor genius. And so we just got together and started working on this idea. And it's been about a year and a half in the making. That's and incredible. Really excited to unveil it to the world so it literally just launched today launched today but it will probably like roll out to some other markets yeah it'll be here as long as um as long as supplies last for so i think maybe two three weeks and then um hopefully we will go national next year national Mm -hmm. in 2024 i'm gonna open up to the floor for questions who would like to ask jing a question please i will keep asking if no one there you go 
say thank you so much both. Um, Jing, I'm really struck by your story about the squeezable <laughs> bottle. Um, I'm wondering in developing your products, what other types, what what other kinds of considerations have you gone through in terms of making products that um, will appeal to an American market? Um, that's a great question. I think ultimately, like in the same way that I decided to not do a squeeze bottle for Chili Crisp, um, I ultimately didn't really make any concessions with like for the product um, from what, you know, I was cooking in my kitchen back in the, you know, back in the early days. For me, I think, you know, just staying true to the ingredients from the region and also like specifically the high grade of quality of ingredients was really important. And I could see in the manufacturing process all the ways in which, you know, mass-produced products on shelves typically um, are able to, you know, cut corners in order to arrive at like maybe a cheaper price point or a more palatable price point. Um because I went through it and, you know, with suppliers, there was a lot of pushback. They were like, why would you ever put this quality of ingredient into this? This is like this ingredient alone is more expensive than finished products on shelf. Like this is crazy. We we don't want to do it. Um, so there's a lot of opportunities for people to really cut corners. And so um, I think sticking to, you know, my conviction, which was like, let me just like put a product out and in, into the world that is reflective of like the way I was, I would cook at home for my loved ones. That ultimately ended up making the product, I think singular and, uh, inimitable and, um, and, and yeah. And, and was, you know, it commanded a certain price point as well, but I think it's reflective of the value that's inside. Thank you so much for this. This is super interesting. Um, the question I had is if you could just talk through who your core consumer is, demographic and psychographic, and then, you know, how much of your core consumer base today is East Asian versus non? And for that non subgroup, how do you plan to educate prospective consumers to ultimately acquire them when you're, you know, on shelf broadly and lined up with a bunch of, you know, products that could be kind of bucket in the same category? Um, so just curious, core consumer and that education of mm -hmm. a non-East Asian mm -hmm. prospect. Yeah. Um, you know, when I started cooking in my supper club, I was cooking for people from all different backgrounds. And, you know, I was traveling as far as New Zealand, Australia, you know, people who had never ex been exposed to these flavors before. But um, the unanimous kind of feedback was we love flavor. We love these flavors. And once you expand someone's palate, you can't, there's no real going back. And um, so when I launched here, I really didn't think like I have a specific target. Like for me, it was anyone who can appreciate good, good flavor. And, um, you know, but I understood that there was a barrier typically like to um, if you hadn't experienced, you know, Chinese food before, if you, if you, um, if, if you find it, you know, difficult to understand, there is this barrier. Um, and I wanted to kind of break that down as much as I could. So it was important for us to not have first launched in like a 99 ranch, even though we're there, 
you know, we're, we're there now. But at the time, it was like, let's meet people where they're at, which, you know, where I was shopping, maybe like the local boutique in Silver Lake in L.A. or on Amazon or, you know, at Whole Foods. Um, and to kind of talk about it in a way that removes the barriers and is inviting people in. So I mentioned the ice cream earlier, right? When you show people that you can do something as bizarre as that, then, you know, it kind of gives them permission to experiment wildly. Um, so what we found was instantly there was kind of all kinds of people that came to the brand. Um, and I think it was a really kind of accurate cross-section of the U.S. demographic with certain um, groups maybe being kind of over-indexed. So East Asian, I think, is, um, I don't know, maybe like 10? I'm looking at my team, 10, 10 15%. Um, and... But like the rest of the the groups are really an accurate kind of reflection of the American demographic, which has been amazing to see. Because, um, yeah, we I think the way we talk about our flavors is not so much like in terms of authenticity of Sichuan flavors, even though if you look at our product, it's sourced in Chengdu, it's made in Chengdu, it's more, quote unquote, authentic than you can get, you know, than than anything else that you can get. But we talk about it in terms of a very personal language. Our, our tagline is not traditional, but personal. It's one person's story. I share my personal story very, very prominently, like even on the jar. And I think um, when people encounter the brand, their first encounter is with this brand that has soul, that has an identity that is about, you know, one person's journey to seeking belonging, which is a very universal thing. Yeah. That's a great, great response. Any other questions? We have time for more. Great. Yeah, that was great. Thanks. Um, so if I recall correctly, Sichuan peppercorns were banned in the United States because it was believed that they were bringing some sort of uh, fungus that destroyed citrus trees or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, are there other um, herbs, spices, or whatever in China that are still banned that we have not seen here yet? Um, not that I know of. I don't think there's anything quite like that right now. Um, there might be, I mean, there's like literally hundreds of different herbs and stuff that's used in traditional Chinese medicine. So I don't know if there might be something there, but, um, not that I know of, but that was really wild what happened there. Um, well, you, what, what's the time frame? So do you know, it was like eighties, eighties, nineties. Uh, 10 or 20 years. Yeah. So I think it was like sometime between the 70s and the 90s. Mm -hmm. um, it was believed that uh, there was a type of fungus or like canker thing that was growing on on citrus trees coming from East Asia. So they banned every, everything from citrus trees. And citron pepper is actually the seed of a citrus plant. Mm -hmm. It's not a pepper. It's not a. It's not even a peppercorn. This it's, is like a marketing tool, what they call um, it actually pepper. I don't know if it's a marketing tool. I think it's, no, even in Chinese, it's called jiao, which is pepper, because yeah. I think it's shaped like a It's pepper. more of a shape. Yeah. Thing. Right, right, right. But uh, it had nothing to do with, right. um, well, the, the citron pepper plant itself also had nothing to do with the fungus that they were worried about. Yeah, it was, so it was just like arbitrarily banned for 20 years. 
And then until somebody, I don't know, thank God for that person was like, hey, I think that, <laughs> I think there's something wrong here. Like we don't need to ban uh, like Bill Clinton or somebody like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, Yo. um, yeah, and then they they lifted that restriction. But then, you know, for 20 years, there was nothing coming in. And, and then for a long time after, it was like, you know, it would come in, but people didn't know about it. So mm-hmm. it would just sit on store shelves. Which we know is not great. Not good for spices. No, yeah. it's not great. A few more. Anybody else? I like it. One more for me. Yeah. I feel like you have such a massive addressable market. You could end up on shelf in, you know, all retail channels. I know you started DTC. You're in Whole Foods today. How do you think about sequencing that retail expansion? Um, what do you think is kind of on the near to intermediate term horizon in, in terms of retail? Mm-hmm. Um so we started out D2C out of necessity because I had no connections in the retail world, moved here not knowing anybody. The only thing I could do was, was build a Shopify website. Um, then went on to Amazon, uh, then Whole Foods, and now more than 5,000 retail stores across America. We actually just recently launched in um, Australia and UK as well, and we're about to launch in Canada, which I'm excited about because I'm from Toronto. Um the way that we sequence retail stores was like at first it was really just inbound. You know, at first when it was just like me and one other person working on the business, it was like people would DM us on Instagram and, you know, it'd be like a local boutique in New York or L.A. Um, and then more and more people started seeing us in those stores. And then there was this platform called Fair that launched, which is like connecting small specialty retailers with brands. Um from there, actually, the first retailer that reached out to us was Whole Foods. And that was because the buyer was a Kickstarter backer of, of mine. And uh, it was actually his wife backed my Kickstarter and then shared it with him. And um, it still took about two years for us to kind of sell at Whole Foods because I just didn't feel like we were ready. At the time, we were constantly selling out. There was just, we didn't have the team, the resources, the supply chain um, set. So uh, about two years later, we finally were ready. And and in 2020, end of 2020, we launched at Whole Foods. Um, and then the, the thinking there was, you know, Whole Foods is a premium retailer. Ours is a premium product. You know, a lot of retailers at the time would tell us like, there's no way I can sell this because this is $15. Everything else that's Asian on my shelf is $3. Like that's, there's no way. And Whole Foods, you know, took a chance on us. And um, and then I think it was Target and, um, you know, stores like Wegmans and uh, kind of from the natural higher end stores. And now we're starting to enter more of the, more of the what's called conventional grocery stores, like the Kroger's, the Alberts and Safeways. And, um, but we also launched at Target pretty early. And that was because Target, I think, has a unique shopper demographic that, you know, really resonates with the Target brand. And so, you know, very similar to kind of the audience that we cultivate. So there was a lot of um, similarities there. Same with Costco. Like we launched at Costco probably much earlier than most uh, brands our size would. But um, it was because Costco has this really great affinity with their customer base. In my target, like your narrative is like on the end cap or on oh, the shelf. Like there's nice. like a there's like a shout out to you by name. Like Amazing. It's a it's a piece of marketing copy 
Is there like a retail grail right now that you're reaching for? Is there somebody that you really want to be working with? It could be small too. It doesn't have to be like the big boys. It could be like, where do you want to see it? <laughs> well, one day we'd love to be in Walmart. We'd love to yeah. be everywhere. And uh, we'd love to be just, you know, at, everywhere that you see like a Heinz ketchup, you know, as ubiquitous as, as that. Mm-hmm. And do you still focus on D2C? Is that still something that uh, Yeah, you I think D2C, with? you know, we're one of the rare food brands that were D2C native, like digitally native. Um, and most people don't buy food online. Or they did during they the did it during the pandemic during that, like eighteen second. eighteen months when like literally <laughs> but, um, everyone that's all they did. But yeah, but I think we still have a very strong community online. We actually just rolled out this membership program called Tastemaker, and um, f- so if you're a member, nice. you actually get twenty percent off everything on the website. You also get access to like new product drops like this before everyone else. So back in July, we actually sent this product out to our tastemakers it's to get fun. their feedback. We we had them help us name the product that's really fun is it yeah. a, is it a, do you charge them or is it just like for free? it's 20 dollars a year oh it's like yeah nothing. yeah so it's it's great so you know through that we've continued to cultivate a really strong like close relationship with our with our like biggest um supporters is there like a outside of fly by jing is there is there a, a product that you would like to focus your energies on just like hypothetical blue sky situation um so What's great about our brand is that it's, you know, we, we do flavor and flavor is good on anything. Yeah. So we've been able, we've been lucky to have done a lot of really great collabs. Um, so like I mentioned, uh, Shake Shack that just came out today. We also have worked with lots of brands. So Fishwife, like you've, you've had. And um, we're about to launch something with Sun Noodle. Yeah, right now. Heard of it? <laughs> yeah, right. So we have Sun Noodle in the house right now. Oh, so Sun Noodles in the house. Th- that's the collab. Hey, what's up, Sun Noodles? Oh, wow. That is show. the collab. So um, Kenshiro from from uh, Sun Noodle, we are actually doing a Jong sauce. If you're familiar with our brand, we have this product called Jong sauce, yeah. which is sweet and spicy, delicious um, miso ramen with Sun Noodle, which oh. is the best ramen maker. It's the maker. best one. Best ramen knows. maker in America. The miso, um, though, everyone knows it's the best. And it's that, that's the best one. So. <laughs> yeah, everyone knows that. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's exciting to work with other brands and create new products um, and, uh, you know, have our brand kind of show up in different aisles of the grocery store. Jingal, this has such, been such a good time. I love your book. Thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate thank it. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you very much to Rizzoli Christine here. Thank you to our producer, Pat Stango. And thank you to listeners. This is Taste is hosted by Eliza Abarbanel and me, Matt Rodbar. The show is produced by Shalia Harris and Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumber. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for updates on all cool things that are happening.